Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddie Dobbs. This week's podcast episode sponsored by Excel Moto. That is the one-stop motorcycle shop for all things biking. They've currently got with code 15DOBS, and I'll include the details in the written description below, a 15% discount off everything when you spend 100 euros or more. And that's valid, valid until the 9th of October. So have a look at all the details in the written description below for that discount. You can get winter ready with XL Moto. Right, let's get down to it. I'm going to start with JB from Scotland because this is in response to, uh, in fact, I forgot to post one of the podcasts. It was so ridiculous. I had it up and I forgot to click submit. So I ended up posting two podcast episodes within the space of two minutes last week. So I'll get a little confused if it was the last one or the one before last. But this is in response to, uh, to electric vehicles and the shift to cleaner diesels. And it's, it's a point I find very interesting. I'll read you this and then I'll get to it. So, Freddie, listening back to episode 33 got me thinking about the dearth of 90s Survivor classics because of the poorly thought through early 2000s scrappage scheme, which lured drivers into cleaner diesels. Now we seem to be repeating old sins with encouraging a shift to EV. Meanwhile, the comments of the Halfords boss sounded like commercial suicide, frankly. We have a whole chunk of the economy devoted to keeping older cars running. The reality is that they are more reliable than ever before and only politics and taxes will drive owners out of them. Heaven forbid the same happens to bikes. So far it hasn't, but the policy shift is worrying. Uh, the old, so I think there may be a typo, apologies JB, the old something of owning a true classic, in my opinion, is one already classed historic or is getting close to. Hence my move from the Rocket to the 1985 VMAX. See, this is interesting because to anyone who's not familiar with it, uh, in the early thousands, 2000s or so, I think it must be about 15 years ago or so. In the UK, we had this scrappage scheme whereby if you trade in your old polluting, could be petrol or diesel car, had to be, I think, 20 years old or something like that, you would get some huge benefit from the UK government, something like £2,000 they would give you towards your vehicle, may even have been more, but huge amounts. Uh, the the problem, well, the, the problem, if you like your classics, is that all of a sudden, all of these lovely old cars, the, the classic Volvo springs to mind for me a lot, they all just suddenly disappeared. And all these cars that you kind of took for granted, they all ended up disappearing and being replaced with diesel vehicles. Because basically what the government said is that, look, diesel is the future. Diesel is the most economical way to get around. The problem is we found out a few years later that diesel is not good for the environment and it is not the best way to get around. And the government desperately tried backtracking on that uh, and it was too late, the trust was gone. Now we're in a situation where they're doing exactly the same again. And most of us, the majority of us, maybe not the majority of us, believe that electric could be the future, although I should point out there are a lot of people who message me to say they do not believe electric is the future. But in essence, exactly the same is happening again. The government 
are pushing us towards a certain kind of power in our vehicles. They did it with diesel a decade, a decade and a half ago, and now they're doing exactly the same with petrol. Are we getting lured and pushed down the same avenue again? In fact, is what's going to happen, you know, they come out with something else. I think they call them hydrogen fuel cell cars or something. People are starting to talk more and more about, is electric the future? And are we going to repeat the same issues of the past? What I find interesting is that in the USA, diesel never took off. The Americans never liked diesels. So you didn't really have this issue in the US. Let me know if I'm wrong about that, but I think you never liked diesels. But in Europe, we absolutely loved them, but it's fallen off a cliff now. So it'll be fascinating to see what that happen, uh, if this happens. And of course, you've got the Halfords boss, who for any non-Brits, non Halfords is a huge chain of stores that sell car and motorbike repair parts. And the boss basically said that, you know, now we run older cars than ever before. Um, and I can see that actually Rob, Rob, who's a listener, he sent me over to say the same thing's happening in the US. The US are running older cars than ever before. But we're running older cars than ever before in the UK. And the Halfords boss basically said it's becoming dangerous. You know, but it's, it's, it's pushing it, I think, to say that running a 12-year-old car is, is dangerous. So long as you maintain your vehicle, and I'm not one to preach about this, but surely so long as you maintain your vehicle, a 12-year-old vehicle is not dangerous. I really, really think that's pushing it a little bit, especially for the Halfords boss to say that. Um, and carrying on from that, now JB, I find this interesting because he let me know in a few, a few weeks ago that he sold his rocket you know, really nice, expensive, fairly modern bike. In fact, I think it may be very modern when he had very nice motorbike and he sold it. And now he's just got a 1985 VMAX. Now, the interesting thing about the VMAX at 1985 is that in the UK, once a motorbike or a car gets to a certain age, it is legally classed as a classic. And a certain, certain things happen when it legally becomes a classic. So I'm just going to check this. What age does a vehicle become a classic? Because you get very, very nice tax breaks. I think there's no, something like no road tax at all. So it's 40 years or older. I'm just going to check if you do actually pay tax on this. Tax exempt. Okay, the vehicle was, if the vehicle was built or first registered more than 40 years ago, no substantial changes have been made. Uh, do, 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 do. Yeah, I think they're tax exempt. So I'm reading here now on the UK government site, you can apply to stop paying for vehicle tax from the 1st of April 2022, if your vehicle was built before the 1st of January 1982. So if you can just stretch, like JB's got a 1985 bike, that means that in three years time, once it's 40 years old, there'll be no tax to pay. Additionally, you will also not have to pay the, I think it's the congestion charge in London. So in essence, what you've got, not the most economical vehicle in the world, but because it's classed as a classic, 
you get away with it. You can come in, ride into London, don't pay congestion charge, and you don't have to pay road tax. And once you start getting to around about this age, we're coming up now to, well, we're in the early 80s now. That's 40 years ago, 1982. We're not a million miles away now from genuinely reliable vehicles that can be tax exempt in the UK. And this brings me on quite nicely, uh, JB, thank you for that, to, um, to a message I had from, uh, let's see if I can find this, from Richard. And Richard has a classic old Kawasaki Z, God, is it the Z1 or Z1000? Anyway, big 1000cc Kawasaki Z from 1980, I think funnily enough, it's 1982 if I remember. Beautiful one I rode, the Eddie Lawson replica. He said to me, Freddie, what is, and not just for me, but um, I'd be curious on your thoughts on this. What's the oldest bike you've ever owned? And he followed this up, this up by, uh, by asking, I was thinking hard about it um, uh, and what I think about it. And I think it just boils down to a simple uh, demographical question. In what decade were you 15 years old? See, I think this makes sense for me because I was born in 1985. So I was 15 years old in the year 2000. I passed my driving test in the year 2003. I was more into cars than motorbikes growing up, up until about the age of 24, 25. Then I, I just got absolutely crazy about motorbikes. But certainly from a car point of view, I class a good car, a reliable car, fairly modern, as a car from about the year, about the year 1990 or so. And the reason it's from 1990 is because that was the era of second-hand cars that I could afford when I passed. I passed my test in 2003 and I could afford cars from about 1989 to 1990, about 13 year old cars when I was growing up. So I look at cars, I look at cars as reliable that coincide exactly with when I pass my test and those kinds of cars that I can afford. And I know a lot of people think exactly the same, for example, guys who are around about 60 years old, they would look at the 1970s bikes and be like, what? 70s bikes, of course. Absolutely fine, they're perfectly reliable. I think you're absolutely right, Richard. Whatever car or bike was around in the era just around when we, we would have passed our tests, I think that correlates with me exactly. That's the kind of thing that I think would be reliable. Right, I move on. This is from, oh, this, okay, so this is from Ryan. Now, Ryan's actually got an issue here that, I remember this well. I used to have this issue as well. It's a little bit heartbreaking. Have a listen to this. Heartbreaking, I'm pushing it a bit, but it's heartbreaking when you want your dream bike. Freddie, I thought uh, you'd find this quite interesting and possibly worth discussing on the podcast, as I wonder if any other new riders have this issue too. Okay, I recently passed my A2 license. In essence, that is the, the license where you're allowed to ride a vehicle of 47 horsepower maximum. I continue. Passed my A2 license and wanted a Triumph 900cc that I could restrict, and I found this amazing Triumph Street Twin. 17 uh, plate, which is 2017, with 8,000 miles on it for five and a half thousand pounds on Autotrader. 
and I thought it was just too good to be true. I've then gone back to the listing a short while later and it had been dropped to £5,000. See, this is what happens when you get out of biking season. October is very fast approaching and if you can, it's hard, but if you, I always say this, you know, if you're going to buy a bike and you're, you're in June and July, you're, you could be paying a premium and you can see prices creeping up. If you can just wait two months, you have to accept you've lost a season, but it, the opposite happens. Those very same bikes that were getting fought over are now starting to drop the prices as people look for the next bike for the new season. Anyway, I'll carry on. Um, and it had been dropped to 5K. I'd begun to sort out if I could afford it, arranged a viewing in person for it, and even verbally agreed to buy the bike with the seller. Let me just open up the next part. Okay, I continue. I've then called up the cheapest insurance company I could find on comparison sites, Triumph Insurance, where once I'd mentioned my A2 license and the modifications made to the bike, I was told my premium would be £2,600 a year. They said it was because of the modifications and because I have an A2 license and because a full license is considered more advanced. I have one previous motorbike that was not insured, but no, no claims that was insured. Sorry, but no, no claims discount to benefit from. But I was just shocked at how much they were going to charge. So I now off to test ride a Royal Enfield Continental GT, which is cheaper to insure. I remember this really well, and I remember being shocked at the, the difference of, of cost of bikes. I wanted when I passed a Suzuki GSX-R 600, and I realized the only thing I could insure for anywhere near reasonable money in the first year was the Honda CB500F, which is, I mean, it's, it's a decent commuter bike, but it's not cool. Uh, and that's, that's really it. But the, the huge difference with biking, maybe even over cars, is that after the first year of biking, the quotes that I was getting of, I mean, this sounds cheap compared to yours, uh, Ryan, I was getting a thousand pound quotes to get a Suzuki GSX-R, you know, the sports bike Suzuki, thousand pounds a year. And I thought, my God, this is ridiculous. I couldn't dream of affording this bike. I think I was on something like I was, I, doing? I was working, I'm sure I was working in a warehouse at the time and I was on about 880 pounds a month. I mean, it's ridiculous that I even bought a bike. My bike cost 790 pounds and I thought, no, this, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I can't be paying a hundred pounds a month for insurance. So I bought this Suzuki RF600, which is a sports tour after my uh, Honda CB500. Honda CB500, 220 pounds a year. Suzuki RF600 sports tour. That was one year later, 150 pounds. And then a year later, or uh, two years after that, I had a thousand CC Triumph Speed Triple, thousand CC, the, the beast of a bike and my insurance a year for that bike. Bear in mind, it was just three years after I had my thousand pound quote for a 600cc sports bike. Three years after that, I was paying 80 pounds a year 
for a Triumph Speed Triple 1000cc Super Naked. That's how much it comes down. So Ryan, you just, yeah, it's painful. You just have to bite the bullet, but I know and I can tell you without getting any replies, you're, there are a lot of people in the same boat as you, Ryan, a huge amount of people. I, I went for a ride. This was about probably, God, it's probably about nine years ago. I remember I went up for a ride with a Polish guy. He had a simple bike, 600cc, old Japanese bike from about 1982 or something. At this point, I had my, uh, what did I have? I had my Triumph Speed Triple, 1,000cc, paying £80 a year. And this Polish guy had just come over to the country. And because he didn't have any no claims bonus, even though he'd been riding a long time, he was paying £180 a month for insurance. Could not believe it. It's huge. So just get that first year under your belt and you'll be absolutely fine. Best of luck, Ryan. I hope, I hope the viewing of the Royal Enfield went well. Okay, I move on. This is from, oh, this is from Steve in Ireland with, with a, a similar, well, kind of uh, a slightly more experienced uh, situation. So I've been riding a bit longer than Ryan. Freddie, I will be buying a bike early next year and I'm trying to figure out what bike I should buy and thought I'd ask for your opinion. My history is pretty typical in that I started off with sports bikes, four Japanese bikes, and then moved on to adventure bikes, including a KTM 990 and GS 1150R, both of which I loved. But as I have young kids, uh, any thought of crossing the Sahara has long since vanished. I've considered a Harley Davidson, an Indian, and I love the slim street bob, low rider, as well as the scout bobber. Uh, I've got to say, Steve, every single bike you've mentioned there, uh, a dream garage bikes for me. Every single one, the slim, the street bob, the low rider, oh, the scout bobber, stunning, stunning choice of bikes there. Really, really, they're all art. But, um, but it's just too much money for me to spend on a bike. I like the classic style, but instead of a modern classic, I've been looking at the Suzuki GSX-1400 and Kawasaki ZRX-1200. The Suzuki in particular interests me as it's fuel injected and six speed transmission. More importantly, I love the looks. I'm based in Ireland, happy to travel to the UK for the right bike. I'd appreciate any thoughts and opinions from both yourself and your listeners. Okay, I'll put this out there. Anyone with experience on the Suzuki GSX 1400 and Kawasaki ZRX 1200, please do get in touch. It's just dob.bs at outlook.com. I will, let's have a look, Steve, I will share my, my personal opinions on these because absolute truth, when I was going to buy my Bonneville, these two bikes, hand on heart, were in the final shortlist. I think there was a Ducati Monster that I, I got rid of, but three of the bikes in the real genuine shortlist was the Kawasaki ZRX1200 and the bike that got down to the very, very last, along with the Bonneville, was the Suzuki GSX1400. I, I share your love of the looks. So let me just describe these bikes. We've got the big Suzuki GSX1400. 
1400 cc of course made from 2001 to 2006 this is a, an obscenely beastly bike you had the Suzuki Bandit 1200, which was one of the original beasts, the real muscle bikes that came out. And then this Suzuki GSX 1400 in 2001 came out and it was an even beastlier bike than the, the legendary Bandit 1200. Huge, huge thing. I'm just on MCN now. MCN rating. It's impressive, five out of five MCN give this bike. Owner's rating, four and a half out of five. This is meant to be a seriously good motorbike. And I'll include both names of these bikes in the written description. I, I know some people often like to look at the bikes discussed. Uh, then we've got the Kawasaki ZRX 1200. Now, the Kawasaki's, they've got this, this beautiful lineage going all the way back to the 70s of making big beastly you know market leading bikes going back to the Z1 and things like that but interestingly the MCN rating of the Kawasaki ZRX 1200 is three out of five what's more interesting is that the owner's rating is 4.8 out of 5. So while the MCN rating is much, much lower for the Kawasaki, funnily enough, the owner's rating is slightly higher than the Suzuki. Right. I can remember this vividly because when I went to buy the Bonneville, I paid £3,650. And I haven't checked this before. I'm going to check it now. Steve, when I was looking at these about, it would be how long I had the Bonneville, coming up to four years, four years ago for the Suzuki, it would have cost me around about three thousand, three and a half thousand pounds to buy one of these bikes. I remember it vividly because I was so keen on them. Let's have a look at what they are now. What have they done price-wise? Suzuki GSX. GSX 1250, GSX 1400. Okay, there are 34 of them available on Auto Trader. The price on Auto Trader for the cheapest one. Let's have a look. Apologies if I keep sniffing. I've got, I think I've got the first cold I've had in about two years or something. Very annoying. Ah, this is interesting. Cheapest one, 4,000 pounds. So you're in for a good investment here, Steve, if you buy one of these. I can almost guarantee it, you're not going to be losing a penny, and I would guess you're actually going to be making money on these because they're 20 years old now. 20 years old, and you're looking at, you know, once with 45,000 miles on the clock with, with, for four and a half thousand pounds. And the thing I love about these, I love these because I can tell they're a good bike because Every rider here does proper mileage on it. Have a listen to the mileage just on the first 10 of these on Autotrader. There's no, no messing around with three, four, five, six, seven, eight thousand miles, you know, just used on the most beautiful sun, sunny days. These have all been properly used. Mileage, number one, 41,000 miles. Number two, 33. Next one, 45. Next one, 14. Next one, 28. Next one, 30. 36, 32, 17, 19. It uh, goes on and on. Th these will last forever. And let me just see if I can, let me get onto Facebook, see if I've got it on here. 
Let me see if I can find any good bargains here. Okay. Right, I want to do a quick search, Steve, to see what I can find. So you're looking at £4,000 on AutoTrader. If I go Suzuki GSX 1400. For anyone who, who's not familiar with these, huge looking bike, single chrome circular headlamp. Border, I would say it's borderline retro style. It's kind of got not out and out retro, but I would actually probably class it as uh, as a retro bike because it's got all of the ingredients. It's stripped back, circular front headlamp. And you're looking at, well, if I can even find one actually. Actually, it looks like they're getting slightly difficult to find on Facebook Marketplace. I'm just seeing a whole load of, you know, this is the annoying thing about Facebook Marketplace, a huge amount of irrelevant bikes that are nothing related to it. Let me do a check on Gumtree. Suzuki GSX4. Motorbikes and scooters. And there are only three available on on Gumtree. Cheapest one, four and a half thousand pounds. And you, the interesting thing about these, in fact, I'll delete that. Let's have a look. Ah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I've deleted the uh, the Ipswich search. I mean, they go all the way up to eight thousand pounds, five thousand pounds, five thousand, seven thousand, six and a half k, five and a half k, seven k. I think they are, I think they're going up in value now. Let's have a look at the Kawasaki's, the ZRX 1200, because the owner's rating for these are completely superb. And there's one bike that always holds its value extremely well, and that is the big naked Kawasaki's, the Zs. So if I go to, and in fact, I've got a feeling this may be this may be more money than the Suzuki, just because they, they tend to do very well. Kawasaki's big nakeds. Let's have a look. The Kawasaki Z, ZRX 1200. Well, this is interesting. There are only six available. Now, with the Kawasaki, there are only six available on AutoTrader. And a lot of them have the front fairing and the front fairings are not as desirable as the, the mini bikini fairings, the, the nakeds in essence. You're going to be paying five and a half thousand pounds minimum for the Kawasaki. So actually you need to pay a one and a half thousand pound premium for that Kawasaki. See, they always do well, the Kawasaki's. Always, it's a very interesting investment. You know, they're, they're big money. I'm looking here at a Kawasaki ZRX 1200 from 2003. So bear in mind that's 20 years old near enough. With 26,000 miles on the clock. And it's 8,000 pounds. I think they're about four, four and a half thousand pounds four years ago or so. These are getting to seriously big money now, these Kawasaki's. I would actually say that one of these Kawasaki ZXR1200s is a, a seriously good investment. Suzuki possibly also as well, but Kawasaki purely from an investment point of view may be the very slightly better choice, although you will have to pay a slight premium for that. Ooh, what would I go for? 
That's a tough one, Suzuki or Kawasaki. I think they're both... I think they're both bang on classics in the waiting. If not, it's already begun because that magical 20 year mark, you know, that's when that's when the numbers really obviously start decreasing, especially that Suzuki. They were never sold in big numbers because it's so ridiculously gigantic. Let me know, Steve, what you go for. Great selection. OK, I'm moving on now to the final point of the day from Zane. Freddie, I want to get your thoughts on the current booming trend of modern classic and retro motorcycles and what makes you gravitate towards them compared to the more modern offerings. I myself have always been fond of this style of bike and some of my earliest memories are spent in a garage with my granddad surrounded by old British bikes, both complete and in pieces, in awe of the sounds and the smells, even riding as a pillion at the age of three around the garden on an old 1950s Enfield. I'm glad to say that me and my granddad both still ride together and create great memories. I consider myself a young rider being 26 years old. I currently ride a Harley Sports to my dream bike and will soon be taking the plunge on purchasing the new Enfield Classic 350 as a second bike. I don't see a lot of people in my generation sharing the same passion for the more modern classic style. So it's great to see your content. Best wishes, Zane. You know, it's good that you say this, Zane, and I find this really interesting because I know the motorcycle industry. They, they are always desperate to, you know, bring that new generation of bikers through. I've often talked about it. BMW, um, you know, trying everything they can to get new bikers into biking, younger bikers into biking. We look at Harley Davidson, they've got the Nightsters, you know, they're, they, they're always trying. I think they had the 750cc for the Harley as well to get younger bikers into biking. And there are a few obstacles, of course, a lot of the time, if you're looking at likes of Harley Davidson Indian, they're just way, way too expensive. Now, no one young has a spare 15,000 to spend unless you're some kind of tech entrepreneurial genius. And... I didn't find when getting into biking that for one, you know, a tech fest and an, an ultra, ultra modern, you know, completely plastic fared superbike really, really did it for me. Yeah, you know, I kind of thought, oh, it's cool to have more speed and power. But I always thought it's the modern classics that that really do it for me. I always think that these are the bikes that are going to get people into biking, especially, as you say, saying yourself looking at the Royal Enfield Classic 350. I think Royal Enfield have got it absolutely spot on with their modern classics, and I'm delighted they've done it because Royal Enfield, I think, have proven that the younger generation of bikers, they are genuinely keen on getting into biking and specifically into the modern classic scene. And now that Royal Enfield have come along and they're making really affordable bikes that younger riders can buy, get ready for the Hunter, the Hunter 350, because this could be another game changer from them. It, it can get these younger bikers into biking because before, you know, if you're getting into biking, I remember when I was getting into biking, well, there was only this funny little Honda 125cc that was covered in plastic and a sports bike replica. And for me personally, it doesn't look like a good bike at all. And I always wondered, why are there no modern classics? Why are there no modern retros coming out, you know, that will appeal to younger riders? Because younger riders, possibly more than the older riders, way more style conscious a lot of the time. They care about the way they look and the, 
the modern classic bikes for me, maybe it's just me, they're, they're the coolest bikes on the market and they should be absolutely bang on appealing to the younger generation. I think the only thing that really stops them a lot of the time, you know, they're, they're just so expensive. So I'm just, now that, now that Royal Enfield have come along, they're selling bikes about 4,000 pounds, suddenly the younger generation can get excited, get involved and think, my God, now I can actually realize my dream and get a bike. You know, you don't need to, okay, when I speak to, I'll wrap it up with this. I just want to say this actually before I forget. When I speak to younger riders, or anyone getting into biking, a lot of the time, the thing that freaks them out about getting into biking is that they think they need some kind of three-year college degree in motorcycle maintenance to get into it. Because a lot of the image over the years of biking has been, you know, people maybe, you know, making biking seem more complicated than it has to be, you know, with getting the tools out and constantly modifying a bike and adapting it and changing it. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that complicated. You don't have to get ready for an excursion down to the Sahara. You don't need to be tinkering with your bike in the garage every day. You know, you can just simply go out and buy a bike and it can be reliable and you can just give it the simplest service once a year and you can go and grab a coffee three miles down the road. You don't need any more than that. Doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Keep it as simple as possible, as unintimidating as possible. And the younger riders, the new riders, they'll come. But the second you start making it too complex and talking about too many different rider modes, you know, if you're looking at lean angle assist ABS and huge amounts of different rider modes and setting up some traction control to be able to ride in moist road air temperatures and yada yada, suddenly everyone's freaking out thinking, oh my God, like if I don't know how to turn on traction control in damp roads, I'm going to crash immediately. And that, I can't do that. I've, I'm not ever going to be a good enough rider to be able to live with those kind of situations. It freaks new riders out. You've got to keep it simple. Just keep it simple, it's a motorbike. Just jump on it, don't worry about it, don't overthink it, you don't need to make it too powerful. Royal Enfield, have it spot on. Right off to the coffee shop, adventures all around. Right, I'll end it there. Thank you to XL Moto for sponsoring this week's episode. Go and check them out for 15% discount, all the details in the written description below. Thank you so much everyone for listening to this week's episode. I completely forgot to say, I've got a Kawasaki Z650RS on test. There'll be a video out soon, so, Keep an eye out for that. Have a good and all. Speak to you soon.